0: All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, gather around the speaker, the car radio, wherever the heck you guys are, and listen extremely closely. Uh, Pizza Mind and I are joined by a very special guest, distinguished guest here on the Crypto 101 podcast from a company that we've actually never had an interview with. Yes, I'm talking Coinbase. I'm talking everybody's favorite exchange, everybody's favorite app, everybody's maybe even favorite stock to trade. I'm joined by the Senior Director of Engineering, Jesse Pollock, who's working on protocols. So before we bring Jesse onto the show, I'm going to check in with Pizza Mind. How are you doing over there in Texas? Are you surviving the summer heat?
1: Uh, Well, you know, this whole move to Texas and, you know, it's good. Had me do a lot of reflection. When we started this podcast, I was just a happy little hobbit building mining rigs. And, you know, fast forward through two, three crazy years now, we are approaching Mordor, and there is lightning flashing and dark clouds ahead, potentially, Mm. and we don't know what's going to happen. And that Mordor moment in crypto is indeed the Ethereum 2.0 upgrade, the changeover from proof of work to proof of stake. What's going to happen? Is it going to be good? Is it going to be bad? We have to go forward and find out And there's no better expert in the industry to ask about what to expect for Ethereum 2 and all the things that we love over at Coinbase than Jesse. So, Jesse, welcome to the Crypto 101 Podcast.
2: Thanks, guys. Super excited to be here.
0: Yeah, man, uh, we're excited to have you. And and let's just kind of jump straight into it. So the Senior Director of Engineering at Coinbase working on protocols. What? You know, how does a guy even get that kind of job? What were you doing before and, and, and how'd you land on something like this?
2: Yeah, great question. I uh, prior to Coinbase, I actually started a company. It was called Clef. Um we built passwordless two-factor authentication. So uh, you know the passwords that you type in and those codes you put in. We build a, a you know more secure, more usable version of that, uh, and we mostly sold that product to businesses. And you know in the kind of 2013 to 2016 window when we were we were operating, the businesses who needed security uh, and usability were oftentimes crypto businesses. And so I spent kind of that period before Coinbase running that company. I was chief product officer there. It was pretty small, but we worked with crypto companies like Bitfinex and BitMEX to secure their logins. And so that that business ultimately didn't work out. But as part of that uh, kind of process of, of winding down the business, we went through an hire process. Coinbase made an offer to acquire us. And that, that's how I came into Coinbase. And so that was the beginning of 2017. Um, I actually joined as a software engineer, writing code. And then pretty quickly... The you know 2017 boom started happening. The company started growing really fast. You know, It was 80 people when I joined. And I had management experience from the startup. And so they were like, hey, can you take on managing an engineering team? And I did. And then over the next four and a half years, um, I kind of grew all of the teams building our consumer-facing products at Coinbase. So Coinbase, Coinbase Pro, Coinbase Wallet, grew those teams from about four engineers to about 180 um, wow. And then middle of last year, 2021, um, I took a step back from that role and went kind of headfirst into this new role that I'm working on now, uh, which is uh, much more focused on kind of the core underlying protocol infrastructure that's powering the crypto economy, um, whereas my previous role was more focused on the user experiences. So that's kind of my, yeah, yeah, progression at Coinbase in short.
0: <laughs> Love it. I mean, what a, what an awesome progression and a lot of responsibility. But it sounds like you really enjoy what you do, and uh, you're having a lot of fun at it. I mean, so I'm. You know, this conversation is going to go in uh, several different directions. There's just so much to talk about. But as Pizza Mind alluded to, uh, quite auspiciously in the beginning of the podcast, which I did not expect. Uh, we, you know, auspiciously mean, <laughs> you know, quite, uh, quite scary, and uh, you know, looming, and all that kind of stuff. But uh, you know, we do. Everybody knows we've got the ETH 2.0 merge coming up we just had the successful uh, testnet uh the most recent one of the girly launch and so we're going to talk about that uh, and I'm going to start there but just to kind of wet everybody's appetite for for later in the episode we're definitely going to cover what makes coinbase different from all these other exchanges the stuff that you know we see you know, not to name any names, but everybody probably knows about some of the exchanges that absolutely collapsed, went bankrupt, all that kind of stuff. And we're going to see what sets Coinbase apart. We're going to talk about, you know, stuff, you know, in in that regards, product developments and updates that are on the horizon. But let's start with the the merge, okay? Why not? Everybody's talking about it. It's, you know, uh, (laughs) the Ethereum 2.0 merge is basically when you know the proof of work gets cut out. We come to proof of stake consensus, and there's probably nobody who you know out there who's more intimately acquainted with it than than a guy like yourself who has lots of responsibility. So, my question to you is basically: How are you thinking about the ETH merge? How are you preparing the Coinbase platform to make sure that everything you know goes smoothly on your end?
2: Yeah. So first of all, one of the ways I'm thinking about it is it's just a super important event in, in the history of crypto. And I think, honestly, in the history of our world, uh, I had a tweet you know six months ago where I said that I think the ETH merge is probably one of the top five most complex, uh, most impactful technical migrations that has ever happened in the history of human existence. And, and kind of where that statement comes from is when you look at Ethereum, it is this uh, global decentralized economic platform the platform itself is worth something like uh, a few hundred billion dollars today in in terms of the value of ether and then there's all these other assets that are built on top of it which are worth you know hundreds of other billions of dollars and over the last four years the kind of ethereum development community has done all of this work to transition from proof of work which is a high energy impact, high environmental impact mechanism for securing the blockchain to prove a stake, which uses a different mechanism that we can go into if you guys are curious about the details. And that work has taken a huge amount of effort. Uh, It's been done totally in the open. It's been done by a ton of different teams and individuals who are in a really non-traditional decentralized working structure. And they've done it with a level of kind of focus and diligence and thoughtfulness. That I think is incredibly impressive. And what we're about to see over the next kind of month and a half, you know, I think we're we're now within the 30 day mark of the, the current projected merge day. Is we're going to see all that hard work come to fruition. And uh, in one moment, we're going to see the switch from proof of work to proof of stake. We're going to see the environmental impact of Ethereum, you know, reduced by 99.9. percent We're going to see the security increase. We're going to see the you know economic characteristics of the chain improve. And I think all of that will, will have been a result of that hardworking collaboration. So I, I'm super excited about it. That's the, the first thing that's kind of <laughs> top line for me. In terms of how Coinbase is preparing for it, you know, it's been a massive team effort. I'd say like across the company, we've been working on ETH2 uh, merge related uh, activities, probably for the last you know, two years or three years in one form or another. We enabled you know, staking on Ethereum uh, uh, you know, about a year ago we have been kind of supporting all the upgrades and contributing to them. We've gone through these testnet changes. And then um, we're working to make sure that um, as this switch happens in the uh, middle of September, it's totally seamless for our customers. So across all of the Coinbase product suites, um, there's very little interruption uh, and everyone just gets to keep using Ethereum you know, the way they, they love to.
1: That's awesome. Now, ETH 2.0 is actually rolling out in phases. It's not going to be You know, like all of a sudden, poof, there's a brand new Ethereum Disneyland. But what should we expect in this first phase? And what are some major features that are still yet to come later down the road?
2: Yeah, great question. And actually, you know, I think it's worth noting that uh, a bunch of the phases are already actually behind us. So the first phase of the ETH2 migration actually started kind of last fall when we launched something called the Beacon Chain. And what the beacon chain is, is it's the proof of stake chain running this new consensus algorithm, basically securing the network in a new way. And we launched it alongside the proof of work chain. And so now in Ethereum, there's basically two consensus mechanisms running in parallel. And that has been running in parallel basically for the last year. And that's what's allowed us to gather a bunch of data on you know how does that new proof of stake mechanism work? What are some of the issues? Like What are the bugs? How do we fix them? And throughout that time, we've deployed a bunch of fixes to the network to make it better. And what we're we're about to do, which is kind of the next phase, is we're going to switch over from having the actual execution context secured by proof of work to having the execution context secured by proof of stake. And so that is the kind of thing that's happening on September 15th uh which is kind of entering us into the next phase. Now, talking about kind of where does ethereum go beyond kind of the merge? The the key thing that kind of the broader or not key thing. There's a four-part plan for the like pr- kind of broader eth uh, development. I'm trying to think about the exact words. I think they are the merge uh which we're about to do, uh then the surge, then the verge, then uh <laughs> I forget the third one, and then the purge finally. But maybe I'll just focus on one of them to start, which is the surge, which is the next phase of kind of development focus that folks are really interested in. And if the merge is all about reducing the environmental impact of Ethereum, increasing the security of Ethereum, increasing the economic kind of characteristics of Ethereum by reducing the overall supply and spend that the network is doing on kind of securing it, the surge is all about increasing the scalability of Ethereum. And this is going to be the thing that leads to uh, lower uh, costs for doing transactions, higher throughput for doing transactions. And what the the surge is going to be all about is it's going to be all about enabling kind of the next level layer of rollups, which are often called L2s, to basically publish more data to Ethereum and thereby enable many, many more transactions at much lower costs. And so over the next kind of one to two years following the, the merge, what we will see is we will see uh, people be able to use crypto with much lower costs, much lower fees, uh, which is going to enable a bunch of functionality that currently is accessible, inaccessible to most of the world. It's going to make it accessible. And so there's a bunch of technical details that kind of go into that surge. Coinbase is working on uh, one of the biggest projects called EIP 4844, uh, which is a big effort to reduce fees for, for rollups. Um, I can go into to kind of more of what that looks like, but that's really the next focus uh, from an Ethereum development perspective. It's all about increasing scalability and reducing cost for using the network.
0: Wow, there's a lot of directions I want to take this. First, let's just do high level trade offs between proof of work and proof of stake. And, and I know you mentioned, um, you know, this, this is going to enhance, you know, moving to proof of stake in, uh, enhances the uh, economic kind of capability, the security, and it lessens the environmental impact. But if all, and th- all, all those things sound great, and I'm, I'm an ETH guy, I'm a BTC guy, too. Why, why would BTC never, ever, ever move to proof of stake?
2: Yeah, it's a great question. And I think, you know, like you you named off kind of the three big benefits of moving to proof of stake. The first is the environmental impact. Um, proof of work is incredibly energy uh, inefficient. Uh, and so, you know, moving to proof of stake reduces the energy spend of Ethereum by 99.99%. The second one is kind of the economic characteristics. So right now, Ethereum is spending a ton of money basically as a network by issuing new Ethereum, um, to pay the miners to mine. Um, and when we move to proof of stake, that new issuance for the security of the network is going to decrease really dramatically. And so that means that rather than a ton of new Ethereum being created every you know hour, we're actually going to have Ethereum be generally kind of flat in terms of its overall issuance and potentially become even deflationary um, over the next couple of years, depending on the characteristics of the network. I,
0: I read a really crazy stat and I'm, I'm going to read it here. Uh, and this is just, you know, I'm, you know, quoting this from a an investor called Northrock LP, and he says, uh, from a price action perspective, the merge will switch from an environment, or will switch a, a Ethereum from an environment that needs five million dollars of new money entering the asset on a daily basis just to maintain current prices, to an environment that will require thirty million dollars of existing holders to sell their tokens every day just to maintain a level price without going up. And so talk about a fricking paradigm shift.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I'm not a big trader. And so not super deep in the specifics of that, but I'd say it's a big shift that's happening. And I think it's uh, the network is earning the right to make that shift in terms of, you know, reducing the spend that it's making on security through kind of this hard work that's done to secure it in a new way. And I think that that's going to be a really powerful change for Ethereum as a platform. So that kind of economic change is the, in terms of issuance is the second, the second big change. And then the, the third big change is a security change. Um, and I won't go into details here, but basically when we move from proof of work to proof of stake, we get some better security guarantees in terms of the overall network and, and the, the risk of the network being taken over in a 51% attack. Um, You know, there's basically more control built into the underlying protocol to both prevent a 51% attack and recover in the event that someone did try and do a 51% attack. And so I'd say those are the three big benefits that Ethereum is kind of getting and moving from proof of work to proof of stake. They are environmental, uh, economic, and security. I'd say the case that Bitcoin can make for, for proof of work is that from a kind of decentralization perspective, uh, there is a, an argument to be made that proof of work, uh, because anyone can kind, kind of participate as a miner, and because the, that participation doesn't require owning large amounts of Ethereum uh, or, or the, the asset to, to participate, um, that it can actually lead to kind of better or more secure decentralization over time. Um, I think you know people might argue both sides of that, um, I think that there's a case to be made that you can get those same decentralization characteristics in, in Ethereum with proof of, of stake, and that particular issue, decentralization is something that Ethereum's really prioritized. You know, there's there's going to be something like 450,000 uh, distinct stakers in Ethereum, uh, which is way bigger than any other proof of stake network. But I think that's the key place where you'll see people say, hey, this is why we really need to stay on proof of work. It's because of this decentralization characteristic. Wow. Wow. Well, I love it.
0: And, and, and really, this, this reminds me of, uh, I'm not sure who actually coined this term, but it's like the scale... Uh, the scalability trilemma, I think, or the, uh, and it's basically like you could have, you know, two of the three tenants of the triangle, you could have scalability, you could have decentralization, uh, and you could have security. And so it sounds like maybe they sacrifice a little bit of the decentralization component to make it more scalable, meaning it could move quicker and, you know, more throughput, all that kind of stuff, it's going to have more security. But, you know, not everybody is going to be able to be a validator like you can be on on um, the Bitcoin network. So I think that's an interesting way to to kind of frame this, this merge. And there, there's also lots of questions around what happens if there's a fork, right? And, you know, we saw this with Bitcoin cash back in August, 2017. I'll never forget it. I was at a casino one day and this whole thing happens and Bitcoin cash goes up to be valued like, you know, as so, you know, half a Bitcoin, everybody thinks this is going to flip in Bitcoin and then it crashes into its deep, dark oblivion. Now, Bitcoin Cash had some legitimate supporters, some legitimate backers. The ETH proof of work kind of proposed fork. I mean, they didn't even have replay protection until just a few, few weeks ago. They had, um, you know, something, you know, some they were when they I just saw it today, they patched a vulnerability where they were kind of going to bring in the code. Uh, that would reinstate the blockchain as of the London hard fork. So this is like you know what seems to me rookie level engineering. Now even the the proponents of ETH POW or ETH proof of work, you know I'm not going to name any names. I don't want to defame anybody, but I, I, I don't think there's much legitimacy behind it. Now how is Coinbase preparing uh, themselves and their customers for a potential hard fork? And essentially will. Coinbase support it and give you know customers you know rights or access to those forked tokens. Will that proof of work kind of token come with a warning
2: label? Yeah, great question. And before I jump to that one, I just want to quickly go back to the the blockchain trilemma: do uh, it decentralization, uh, security, and scaling. I wouldn't say that. Ethereum is trading off decentralization in the, in the form of uh, in exchange for security and scalability. I think decentralization is a core um, component of Ethereum's ethos. If anything, I, I'd say the, the roadmap that Ethereum is pursuing is one where at the kind of base Ethereum layer, it optimizes for decentralization security at some trade-offs to scalability and then it solves for those scalability challenges at the kind of layer above in L2. Um, that's kind of the Ethereum roadmap. What I would say is that I think the Ethereum community uh, and its decision to to, proof, to to go with proof of stake, and the Bitcoin community and the the kind of uh, you know proof of work effort, they have different approaches to decentralization. I think folks can make reasonable arguments on either side that they lead to different characteristics of the decentralization, different levels of access to decentralization, um, and and potentially different outcomes to the network. But honestly, we don't know. We've never had a proof-of-stake blockchain that's operating at the level of decentralization that Ethereum is. Um, and I expect that we'll learn a lot more over the next years. Personally, I'm, I'm super optimistic about the the path that Ethereum is taking. And I think that the, the ethos of really pushing for decentralization has been a core part of what made it successful thus far. So that that's on the, the trilemma. In terms of ETH proof-of-work, the first thing I'll say is, you know, forks happen. And I generally think that forks are a uh, healthy thing for networks. They're the right to exit. Uh, and we've seen that that right is uh, a pretty powerful thing. And if you look back at you know, Ethereum with ETH Classic, or you look back at Bitcoin with Bitcoin Cash, I actually don't, you know, I think that those are pretty positive moments uh, reflecting back um, in the history of those blockchains. Um, you know, it allowed a community that had different uh, perspectives with uh, kind of the, you know, uh, the rest of the community uh, to kind of segment themselves off. To create a new context for them to do additional innovation, to do additional experiments. And I think we learned from that. And we've we've seen that those things have been able to operate pretty, pretty successfully in parallel. So the first thing I'd say is I think forks are generally like uh, a healthy, good part of you know blockchains uh, and that uh, the ones that we've seen in the past have been uh, positive. Um, in terms of the eth proof of work fork, um, the first thing I'll say is I think this fork is much more complicated than either the eth classic or the Bitcoin cash fork. Um, and that is because kind of what's happened over the last four years is so much infrastructure has been built on top of Ethereum. You know, like when Bitcoin Cash fork happened, uh, you know, in 2017 and when Ethereum Classic fork happened around the same time, the, the crypto space was still really small. And those blockchains still had uh, like pretty limited stuff built on top. There of was them. like, there's still meant- no applications really built
0: it on top of Bitcoin. It's just like a couple of people <laughs> yeah. had to update their nodes and like that was it. Right.
2: Right. And I, I, that's really different for Ethereum today. So like one canonical example of this is you have stable coins built on top of Ethereum, things like USDC and, and Tether. Those stable coins have real U.S. dollar collateral backing. And so when a fork happens on the forked chain and you know the main chain, uh, there will now be USDC and USDT on both of them. But there will only be collateral to back the USDC or USDT on one of them. Now, that's a big problem, because that means that on the other one, all of the assets that are supposed to be worth $1 now no longer have backing. Those assets are then also used in other systems like Aave for lending or DAI for for lending or decentralized stablecoin. And that means that we're going to see this kind of chaos that results from uh, people not managing that transition, the fact that we're going to see some bifurcation well. Now, the first thing I'll say is that I think that there is a way that the fork maintainers could manage that well. Imagine kind of like a different sequence of events for this fork where a year ago, the people who who are building ETH proof of work say, hey, we think that it's really important that there's an ETH proof of work chain. We think that when ETH ETH forks to go proof of stake, we're going to have the separate chain and we're going to start investing now to make that separate chain viable. And one of the things we're going to do is we're going to go to USDC and we're going to go to Tether. and We're going to say, hey, we need to upgrade these protocols. So in the event of a fork, you can have users choose where they want to have their asset be collateralized. And you can send the default, but that's an option that you want to give customers. In that world, when the fork happens, then people would choose where they you know, kind of settle out. We would then work at the kind of protocol layer for the lending protocols and be like, okay, now we need to manage this risk of some of the collateral disappearing. How are we going to handle that? We'd build a plan to make sure we can handle that on both networks. And we get to this merge, it would still be chaotic, but there would have been a lot of investment in basically managing the change in a thoughtful, safe way for people who are expecting a trusted network that they can operate on. And I expect that in the future we'll see forks like that. What I will say is this fork and the way that ETH Proof of Work fork is, is shaping up right now, it, it doesn't look like that. It wasn't started a year ago. There hasn't been that intentional planning. There hasn't been the collaboration with the ecosystem to make sure that protocols built on top of Ethereum kind of can, can manage the, this challenge. And I think what that means is, I think it means that we're, we're much more likely to see a world where that kind of fork that cuts off is incredibly chaotic, potentially has kind of changing uh, characteristics about it up until the, the moment it happens and, and potentially puts people who are trying to do things on that fork um, at risk of losing funds or uh, of having like financial outcomes that aren't healthy, and so at, at Coinbase, you know, we don't have a stance on this right now. It's something we're thinking about internally uh, and, and doing a lot of work on to make sure that we protect our customers uh, and that our customers have a trusted experience. But I'd say broadly, uh, I think forks are good. I think that in order to do a fork well, it requires a lot of planning, thought, and care. And I, I haven't seen that kind of planning and thought and care here. Um, and so I think there's a higher risk that something you know could go wrong in a way that might impact people
1: negatively. Wow, that was an incredible answer. Uh, I didn't even think about all the ERC-20s that were gonna be duplicated in a fork like that. Um, so yeah, definitely uh, we wanna stay away from that kind of complication until the waves settle down. But one other token that is going to be impacted is the ETH2 tokens that people have been staking since the Beacon Chain launched. Uh, Are these going to be unlocked at the time of merge or are they going to be locked indefinitely for a longer period of time? And will we have to convert the current Ethereum in our wallets now to ETH2 tokens?
2: Great question. And the first thing I'll say is there's only one ETH token. Now, what's happened over the last year is because we did that kind of beacon chain, because we enabled staking, lots of people have had to have a new way of communicating to their customers that there is a separate kind of Environment where you can stake this asset and it will be locked for some period of time. So, for instance, on Coinbase, we've decided to communicate that kind of separate environment where it's locked for a certain amount of time with the framing ETH2. What will happen when the merge happens is the ETH2 kind of framing will go away uh, and it will be one consolidated ETH page where you can stake uh, and, and unstake in the future as well. And so, you know, once the merge happens, the concept of ETH2 is going to go away. There's just going to be one ETH and uh, no one's going to need to do anything to migrate their tokens from eth to eth2. It's just going to be ethereum. And so for folks who are, you know, nervous, like you don't have to do anything. You you're good by default. The network's going to handle it all for you. Uh, Coinbase will handle it all for you. Your ethereum is going to be your ethereum, it's going to be your ethereum. Now, speaking to the the question of, you know, if I've staked my ethereum, when am I going to be able to withdraw that ethereum? That withdrawal ability isn't something that's going to happen immediately at the merge. And so basically the, the, the development community around Ethereum has made an intentional decision to say, hey, we're gonna do this in phases. And like I said, the first phase was you know, last year when we launched proof of stake um, alongside proof of work. The second phase is this kind of merge um, where we're gonna drop proof of work and switch to consensus with proof of stake. And then the final phase, which probably happens about six months after the merge is gonna be turning on withdrawals. And the reason why we did it in kind of those three steps is to make sure that there wasn't an issue at any one of those steps that, uh, you know, expose customer funds to risks or or network funds to risks. And so customers, if they want to natively withdraw their funds from staking, are going to have to wait a little bit longer. That said, what we're seeing in the the community is that increasingly there are what are called liquid staking derivatives. So this is things like Lido, where you can stake your Ethereum, and then you can get something like uh, STETH. Um, which acts and looks like ETH in a lot of ways, but represents your staked assets. And so customers are still going to be able to use kind of those liquid staking derivatives to kind of get access to their funds and use their funds in, in, in other ways during that time where they can withdraw. And then over the next kind of, you know, probably six months after the merge, we will see native withdrawals be uh, kind of launched, which will allow folks to kind of come out of staking if they want.
0: No, it's uh, the 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 liquid staking derivatives uh, short LSD for short. I, you know, it's kind of a mouthful, so I just say LSD, right? Like, <laughs> I think it's a it's a pretty fascinating um, you know industry that's really popped up around there. And uh, like you said, Lido and Rocket Pool and all these company or you know protocols, if you will, that are enabling it. I think are doing uh, doing some tremendous work, and I'm excited to see how all that plays out. So have you heard about DraftKings Marketplace? It is the place to snag the latest digital collectibles across sports, entertainment, and culture. So DraftKings has actually released their first ever NFT fantasy game, Rainmakers Football. So this is the only NFT fantasy game licensed by the NFLPA. And now you can collect the hottest player card NFTs while also playing free for millions of dollars in prizes. And right now, everyone can get their first full roster starter pack for free. And playing is pretty simple. You could buy, sell, bid, and win player card NFTs of the biggest names in the game through regular drops and auctions on the DraftKings marketplace. You can craft lineups of athletes from your NFT collection and earn points for touchdowns, receptions, and more. I mean, guys, this is literally just like uh, what, daily fantasy football, okay? You could, you could build your NFT franchise, and you could enter free Rainmakers football contests all season long to compete for, yes, I'm talking millions in prizes. So download the DraftKings Daily Fantasy app now and sign up with the promo code, CRYPTO101, okay? There's no spaces. It's just CRYPTO101. Click the Rainmakers tile and opt in to get your first full roster starter pack for free plus you can play for millions and prizes all football season long and build the ultimate nft fantasy franchise with rainmakers football again that's promo code crypto 101 build play win ladies and gentlemen only at DraftKings. okay contest entries dependent on type and number of nfts held eligibility restrictions apply void where prohibited and you got to seek draftkings.com for details. Now, I I think I got an email or a uh, maybe it was on Twitter uh, earlier today or yesterday that Coinbase will be turning off withdrawals um, for Ethereum and ERC20 tokens and deposits during this sort of, you know, undisclosed window until you guys kind of deem uh, it to be safe for your customers transact, and I absolutely think that that's the best way to go about it. But my follow up to that is: Will Coinbase disable markets and trading for those assets?
2: Yeah, great question. And one thing I, I want to clarify is that when, when we're saying we're going to disable uh, kind of deposits and withdrawals, that our hope is that's going to be for a really small period of time. We're not saying, hey, this is going to be a multi-day, multi-week uh, deposit ah, withdrawal gotcha. change. What we're saying is there's going to be some small period of time on that day, you know, probably measured in minutes or hours, like ho- hopefully minutes. Where as this kind of transition from proof of stake, uh, proof of work, to proof of stake happens, we're going to temporarily, for for you know as short as possible period of time, turn off deposits and withdrawals. And that is not because we think something is going to go wrong in the merge. It's not because we think that there's you know some issue with, with the overall effort. It is because as uh, kind of the most trusted. Uh, most secure, uh, you know, exchange, we we really want to make sure that we're going above and beyond to to in the event of some kind of totally fringe outcome happening, we haven't exposed our customers. And so the, the first thing is I, I would expect that to, to happen for a very, very small period of time or a small period of time. And uh, it's it generally have a really minimal impact to customers. Um, and I'll also say that's only for our custodial products where that's going to be impacted. So that's like the core Coinbase app. If you're using Coinbase Wallet, you know, it's non-custodial, it's your wallet, you're gonna be able to do whatever you want. And uh, our expectation based on all of the test net changes is that the network's gonna keep humming, you're gonna be able to keep sending, receiving, trading, lending, borrowing, whatever you want, fully powered by the Ethereum network. So that that's kind of the, the point on the, the first part. In terms of trading, my understanding is that we don't have any plans to disable trading or to disable parts of the exchange. All of our kind of exchange functionality happens in the kind of Coinbase world. Um, it's not impacted by the underlying Ethereum network. The thing that is, is kind of the deposits and withdrawals, because that's where we kind of take money from customer wallets and move them into Coinbase wallets, uh, which they kind of are then trading out of. Um, And so that's the place where we need to be extra careful. But our expectation is that trading is going to continue kind of full steam ahead.
1: Great. And speaking of Coinbase's wallet, you've got a new wallet out that's uh, really been a massive success. Can you talk a little bit about the thought process that went into developing this and what can we expect next? Like what's the grand vision for the Coinbase self-custody wallet?
2: Great question. Yeah, and I'm really excited about the wallet. Uh, and we're excited to see how, how happy and, and fired up about it our yeah, customers the, are. The, the
0: community is often quick to criticize. And uh, they've just had nothing but good things to say about the coin, the new Coinbase wallet. So we're
2: all ears. Yeah. And this is one that's definitely near and dear to my heart. Uh, it's it's not super well known, but the, the process to get to this rewrite of the Coinbase wallet actually started in 2019. Um, not with a rewrite of Coinbase wallet, but with a rewrite of the core Coinbase app. In the kind of beginning of 2019, we decided to invest in a new technology called React Native. Uh, and we basically laid out a plan. And, and what React Native does, it basically lets you write um, one app and have it on iOS and Android, and also share a bunch of logic with web products. I think like in Facebook 2019, developed
0: it. It wasn't that like Facebook's yep, language? Yeah, Facebook
2: developed it. It's widely used in Facebook, Microsoft, Shopify, uh, and now Coinbase. And nice. so from kind of 2019 to 2021, um, we did a series of uh, upgrades to our core Coinbase product, um, like the Coinbase app, um, where first we rewrote the onboarding experience in Wallet, and then we rewrote the entire product know first we re- rewrote the onboarding experience in React Native, and then we rewrote the entire product in React Native. And so by kind of end of 2020, um, our entire Coinbase app was powered by one code base. And what we then did in 2021 and 2022 is we took out all the infrastructure that we used to build that app. So the design system, which powers the UI and the data layer, which powers how it kind of communicates with the backend. And we turned those into reusable components. And then at the end of 2021, we started building a brand new wallet using all those reusable components. And so that effort then took six months. And where we are now, kind of middle of 2022, is the wallet app is fully powered by React Native, same code base across iOS and Android. And then that app is sharing logic, not just with the wallet extension, but also with the core Coinbase product. And so what we have is we basically have this incredibly powerful new infrastructure that's underlying both our core Coinbase product, our Coinbase wallet product, our Coinbase wallet extension, our Coinbase.com website, and all of the, you know, kind of future facing products, uh, customer facing products that we're building going forward. So a long story, but kind of an incredible outcome for the business.
0: Yeah. And and now we're talking about a cohesive, unified, you know, customer experience. I think that's been one thing that I've noticed as kind of a power user of Coinbase. Uh man, like, you know, sometimes the Coinbase app versus the Coinbase Prime and custody, and it's kind of just all over the place. Uh, it's all coming together, though. And I, I love to hear just yep. the, the intent.
2: That's exactly right. And, you know, another way this is showing up is with the launch of Coinbase Advanced Trading, which is in the core Coinbase product We're gradually migrating customers from Coinbase Pro. You know, you have the same features the same fee structure, uh, the same great advanced trading experience, but now it's fully built into Coinbase. And I think our vision is that over time, uh, these products are going to just work better and better together. And the kind of line between non-custodial and and custodial is going to blur. And we're going to make it easy for users to leverage Web3 and leverage the Web3 economy in a way that they feel secure, they feel trust. And they feel confident, and they're, the, you know, the risk that, that something's going to go wrong that they're going to lose access to their funds is as small as humanly possible. And so over the next year, I think uh, the, the thing that I'm most excited about is the, the version of the wallet app that we just released. That was like the bare-bones rewrite. We were like, how do we get this rewrite out that has future parity as quickly as possible? Uh, we did it in six months, uh, and you know, I think people are already loving where that's at. But that's just the beginning. You know, over the next year, we're going to layer in all these features we've been waiting to build, you know, this polished, I think is going to make it feel even smoother. These integrations with the core Coinbase product um, with the extension that make these feel even more cohesive. And I think, you know, you know co- we can talk again in 12 months. I think by then the experience of using Web3 and crypto is going to be one that is is even more accessible and, and that anyone can use.
1: That's awesome. You know, Coinbase is over there chugging along. Being an industry standard, doing right by everyone to the best of their ability, but there's other things that come along and mess with you guys. And you know, with that in mind, have you ever thought about launching a decentralized exchange? You know, we've seen uh, other U.S. exchanges even blow up their entire corporation and turn into a Dow in the face of some of these external pressures and you know, uh, volcanic explosions out of nowhere. Uh, what are your thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, it's a great question. And you know, my my role is protocols at Coinbase. Uh and so this is what I think about all the time. And the first thing I'll say is, you know, we're not going to make any changes as a result of a volcanic ex- explosion or pressures from, you know, uh the markets, you know, I think in general one of our uh kind of uh, ethos is at Coinbase is to be deliberate, strategic move in a way that we are kind of in control of our own destiny. Um, so I think any changes that happen in this direction are going to be ones that we really think about, and premeditate, and work towards over long periods of time. That said, you know when I look at what the Coinbase strategy is now, it is increasingly to be the gateway to Web3 um, and to have core parts of our business be powered by Web3. And so over the next few years, I fully expect that we will increasingly invest in and. Uh, leverage kind of protocols like decentralized exchanges, like decentralized lending in our products. Uh, This is something that, you know, my team works on directly. Uh, You know, there's a bunch of ways we do this. Um, One is by integrating protocols into our products. So for instance, Coinbase Wallet, the whole trading experience, the lending experience in there is powered by decentralized exchanges and decentralized lending products. Another way we do this is by actually building protocols ourselves. You know, we, we recently helped support the the launch of something called BACT, which is an NFT lending product. Uh, and that was something that was kind of incubated and built internally at Coinbase and then uh, kind of launched in a more decentralized structure. And then we, we also think about doing this by investing in kind of the core infrastructure that protocols need in order to be successful. And so some of that is on the Ethereum side, where, like I said, we're, we're doing investments to make it easier for. For folks to use Ethereum and, and rollups by having it be cheaper and faster, but some of it's also in building actual kind of core primitives for Web three that make it easier for other people to build protocols. Um, and I can't go into some of the details there uh, just yet, but uh, you know, expect more from Coinbase in the, the coming months and quarters.
0: I can't wait! I'm excited. Uh, I know you guys always have some tricks up your sleeve, and uh, talking to you just you know pumps me up and gets me just more excited for the future of Coinbase and. You know, for for the experience that everybody knows and loves, kind of transitioning the conversation a little bit, I'm just curious about your personal sort of interests. You know, are you more of a guy who uh, likes NFTs? I did notice you have a a CryptoPunk as your Twitter profile. Uh, are you a DeFi kind of thoroughbred that just loves yield farming and LPing? Are you a gamer? Right? I mean, gaming is now a huge trend on Ethereum. Like, what's your kind of favorite just part about the ecosystem?
2: That's a great question. Um, I would say, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I well, I'd say first off, I, I love all of those things. I uh, you know definitely dabble in NFTs. I I try and live as much of my financial life as possible in DeFi. Um, and I'm not a huge gamer, but I, I play you know web three games you know, to to learn and experiment. But I, I would also say that none of those are. Really, the thing that I spend most of my kind of nights and weekends working on, for instance, the CryptoPunk. I minted the CryptoPunk when CryptoPunks were minting, you know, in Damn, 2017. Legend. I you know, was like way oh, back geez. then. It was like three dollars to mint it on Ethereum, um, and that's why I have a CryptoPunk. Um, <laughs> I generally don't do a lot of NFT trading. I'm not a DeFi DGen. I'm not yield farming all the time, uh, and I'm also not you know playing to earn all the time. You know, when I think about where I kind of spend my nights and weekends, and, and what I what I'm most interested in crypto space, kind of at the application layer, I'd say it's it's much more around kind of protocols and governance and how we can use protocols and governance to um, make changes in local communities, which is maybe a little crazy out and out there. But um, the 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 biggest project that I work on is. Uh, outside of Coinbase, and it's actually supported by Coinbase Giving, is um, something called City3, where we're working to build a community currency uh, in the city of Oakland to kind of create a more local regenerative economy for the city of Oakland. Um, And I think the the thing that really kind of captures my imagination about that and gets me excited is I, I think if you look at the history of communities, there's a ton of evidence that suggests that one of the things that's really held kind of communities and cities back is the kind of structures of centralization, you know, centralized banks outside of cities kind of taking the value from them, centralized governance, like, you know, governments underserving kind of cities and under, you know, not really understanding what the core challenges are. And I think with crypto, we have this new, incredibly powerful tool set to kind of help cities be better versions of themselves um, and do it with, you know, a, a way where folks are brought in and it's kind of community led and community owned. And so, and, that's the stuff I'm most interested in. Like, I think the, a huge biggest, kind of, the biggest crypto segment, like, you know, that maybe lines is like the regen crypto segment um, where it's really about like, how do we basically use crypto to build more regenerative regenerative communities that kind of like, yeah, heal our cities, heal our planet um, and solve some of the largest coordination challenges that, that I think are holding back, um, you know, humans and, and the globe from, you know, living our best life.
1: Love it. Uh, I can't wait to see, you know, regenerative finance and technology really become uh, the forefront of the attention of all the builders in this space. Um, so it's great to hear that coming from the you know senior engineering director at Coinbase. Uh, just makes me so much more excited for the future than I already am. But you guys need time to build. These things don't come overnight. And the best time to build is really in a bear market where things are quieting down. You don't have so much noise and demand and, you know, a thousand new tokens saying, listen to me, please, 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 please. And you know, having to work over Every, every employee is checking things.
0: their prices of their port yeah. portfolio every minute.
1: Yeah. And you mentioned, you know, Coinbase has a very long-term strategic approach, you know, being deliberate and having a plan. Can you give us the insight Without violating any NDAs about what we can expect over the next couple of years?
2: Yeah, great question. Yeah, you know, when I think about Coinbase's kind of plan over the next three years, I think the the thing that drives that plan is our strategy. And um, there's really three parts of our strategy. The first one is to kind of make it so crypto is the best trading. Uh, environment, uh, like using crypto for trading. The second part is making it so uh, crypto is kind of the best financial environment uh, where we can kind of have this new kind of financial account and and, and financial. Products emerge, And then the last one is, uh, you know, making crypto be the best application, app platform, kind of general purpose, uh, enabling the world of products. And so I'd say those are the three, three biggest focuses for us. One is, like, how do we make our trading products better and better? We're seeing this with advanced trading, getting merged into Coinbase. That's going to con- kind of continue deepening the, the trading experiences that Coinbase uh, customers can expect there. Um, on the financial products, um, we've increasingly made the Coinbase product uh, what we call the primary financial account of Web3 and the crypto economy. Um, this is bringing in new features like the the debit card, which allows you to spend crypto, uh, direct deposit, which allows you to earn directly in crypto, better peer-to-peer, so you can send money to anyone, anywhere in the world. And then the last one is this app platform. And this is about how do we basically provide tools for developers to make it easier for them to build new products on top of crypto. And so this is our kind of cloud offerings where we, we make it easier for developers to stake, uh, easier for developers to get access to nodes so that they can build. And it's also um, the protocol work that I do, where we're building underlying primitives to enable kind of protocol developers to move more quickly. So I'd say those are the three big focus areas for our business. Um, And over the next few years, I think uh, folks should expect a ton of progress across all of them.
0: Love it. Now, as I kind of uh, alluded to in the beginning, and also pizza mind, when you asked me what auspicious means, I gave you the wrong word. I meant to say ominous, not auspicious. Auspicious is good. Ominous is the one that's like Mordor. So anyhow.
1: That makes more sense.
0: (laughs) Sorry, I just had to clear the air because I've gotten people who uh, have like tweeted at me like, Bryce, you mispronunciated, uh, exacerbated for the last six episodes. I'm like, oh, come on. But anyhow, critics are quick to critique. But anyhow, I wanted to uh, kind of circle back on uh, something I for um, alluded to was just the, the idea that a lot of exchanges kind of got wiped out in this bear market. And I and you know some of are bankrupt and all that kind of stuff. You know, probably the most prominent right now is is Celsius, right? I mean, those bankruptcy proceedings are are public. Uh, nothing to hide there anymore. How you know is Coinbase really at risk of some of these similar systemic issues that some of the uh, other competitors were? And uh, if so, or if not, can you just kind of give us some color around that?
2: Yeah, great question. And top line answer is no, Coinbase is not at risk of some of these other structural issues that uh, competitors have kind of struggled with. And we actually just published a, a blog post on kind of our approach to crypto financing. Um, and kind of how that's left us in a place where we had zero losses from kind of, you know, uh, the fallout of the kind of crypto financing crisis over the last six months. And I guess maybe just to catch listeners up over the last kind of three months, as crypto markets have have kind of reduced in price, um, what we've seen is we've seen some pretty intense fallout where kind of lenders, crypto lenders, um, people who were were either taking their own assets or taking customer assets and lending those assets out to other people to earn a yield for either themselves or customers, they have had some pretty dramatic fallouts like bankruptcy because they lent to people who weren't able to actually return those funds. The kind of canonical examples of this are Celsius, which is kind of a a consumer financial or was a consumer financial product, which took customer funds and lent them out um, and made some bad loans, which kind of blew up their balance sheet. Now they're in kind of bankruptcy. And then the, the, on the borrowing side, the canonical example is Three Arrows Capital, which you know borrowed you know billions of dollars from folks like Celsius and and other lenders to kind of trade in crypto, and then lost almost all of that money. Who's also in kind of bankruptcy proceedings. So I'd say uh, you know the the broader context is. You know, decreases in pricing leading to kind of really big credit failures on the lender and borrow side in the crypto markets. Um, uh, those kind of faults have not impacted Coinbase. Um, Coinbase did not make any loans that were defaulted. Um, Coinbase has a very rigorous, um, very structured approach to crypto financing. Um, uh, and if, if folks are curious, we, we wrote a, a long um, uh, blog post about this. But the, the, the kind of key top line things is I'd say the first is like, uh, this, this wasn't the first time that credit markets have, you know, led to uh, big blow-ups in businesses, right? If you look at like many of the financial crises over the last, you know, hundred years, they are derivative of this one. We just got to yeah. see it happen kind of firsthand in crypto and in and hyper speed as well. <laughs> our, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think one of our ethos is uh, Coinbase is like we understand that risk. Uh, we do not think crypto is immune to that risk, and we bake. Uh, that kind of risk management as a key part of our long-term strategy. Um, And that means that when we're thinking about lending and borrowing, um, when we're thinking about kind of evaluating counterparties for doing that, we conduct super rigorous uh, due diligence. Um, We stress test our exposures to make sure that even in the event of market, you know, kind of crashes like the one that happened, we're not going to be at risk. Um, we you know game plan and understand how things go wrong uh, and where we don't have you know uh, perfect visibility. Um, uh, we anticipate where things might break internally to make sure that even if things do break internally, we're not going to get uh, uh, kind of caught caught in surprise in a way that's going to impact our customers. and then we try as best as possible to a- anticipate any external surprises that could um, you, know, you know have an impact on our business. And so I think those principles, were ones that meant that as we went through this kind of market uh, uh, kind of uh, price decrease over the last three months, um, CoinMates was able to manage through it seamlessly. You know, our customers weren't impacted, our business wasn't impacted, we didn't lose any funds, um, and I, I expect that that will continue to be the case um, for the foreseeable future, or forever, um, because that's such a core part of you know our ethos and, and making sure we're the most secure and the most trusted.
1: And managing your greed really is the biggest part of risk management. So uh, you guys really are the smartest guys in the room when it comes to that, just staying out of the way. And one of the biggest risks in crypto right now is chasing that yield by putting your tokens on one of these cross-chain bridges, which is a super important part of connecting everything. But in the early days, we're seeing those get hacked pretty much more than anything else in the space right now. Is Coinbase interested in potentially building and providing bridges or wrap tokens? Or is that another area that you guys are just going to stay away from entirely?
2: Great question. And I think, you know, you're spot on. We've seen a bunch of bridge hacks uh, in the last kind of year, a couple of years. As we're moving to this more multi-chain world, uh, for those who don't know, what a bridge does is it basically allows you to use your assets on one chain on another chain. And the reason that's a risk is because uh, the way most bridges work is they lock up your assets on the chain that you know they originated on, and then they create new assets uh, on the new chain. And if something happens in the bridge, maybe it gets hacked, then those assets on the original chain can get stolen, which means that the assets on the new chain no longer are the assets. They're, you know a shadow of the assets. Um, and that can lead to all sorts of bad outcomes. And a bunch of those kind of hacks have happened. So the, the first thing I'd say is we've actually launched our first kind of bridge products. Um, so if you go into Coinbase Wallet, uh, you can actually now like natively bridge from one app, uh, from one platform to another. Um, we also just enabled on Coinbase.com uh, the ability to uh, send and receive on Polygon. Um, uh, and we're going to... Uh, make it so that you can send and receive on other L2s uh, over the next couple quarters. And the way all those things work is basically we provide liquidity on both sides. But right now we are using kind of the native bridges for each of those chains. So the Polygon has a native bridge. Optimism has a native bridge. Uh, Arbitrum has a native bridge. And we basically hook into those um, and make it really easy for our customers to move funds across. But we don't actually provide a bridge or kind of provide the infrastructure that could get hacked uh, around that bridge. Um, That's kind of provided by the chain. We don't have current plans to get into the business of providing those bridges. Um, I think our thesis is that um, we wanna be kind of securing uh, both sides, we wanna be providing that liquidity, but we wanna be working with the networks to make sure that um, kind of they are building uh, network native uh, secure bridges as as best as possible. And and, and we're kind of working around that. That might change in the future, but that's that's our current thinking.
0: Man, I love it. Jesse, this has been an absolute barn burner of a podcast. Uh, I want to be respectful of your time. We've already gone just about an hour. So I wanna I wanna say before I get to a couple closing questions that we like to ask every guest that comes on the show, is there anything we left out? Is there anything that you'd like to make sure the good citizens of Crypt Nation hear loud and clear?
2: I think the one thing I'll say is um, crypto is for everyone, and there's mm. you know, no bad questions. Um, and so, you know, I felt really lucky to get to come on and do this podcast. Um, but I, I guess just, I always try and share with people that, you know, coming into the space and learning about these new technologies can be overwhelming. Um, uh, but it's worth it. You know, we're at the beginning of a massive new, uh, change in the way humans work and the way society works. And we, as a community have to make sure that everyone can be a part of that. And so if you're listening to this and your first time doing crypto and you feel overwhelmed, um, that's okay that's normal that's expected ask questions um, be curious learn teach others um and you know you'll get through it and, and we'll be better as a world as a result so glad you're listening and you know thanks for being here
0: Yes. That's and you awesome. literally, you literally actually answered one of my two questions that I was going to ask already. It was going to be, if this was the first you know time somebody was getting into crypto, what would you tell yeah. them? Check. So you're, I think you're psychic or, you, or you've heard the podcast before. So we like to ask that question to everyone. Uh, but next question is just, you know, it's a personal one. It's like, Hey, like out of everybody you've interacted with in the crypto space, who inspires you to to be better at your job to be uh you know better at building the future of finance like you know is there one guy or or gal that you could kind of pinpoint and say man that that was an inspiration
2: yeah i i haven't worked with with them directly but i i will say that i'm continually inspired by Vitalik uh and his uh you know leadership for ethereum um in the broader community you know i think the combination of um like really Deep technical ability and, and ability to kind of help us figure out the roadmap for Ethereum. Plus, I think a really like strong philosophical grounding and, and ability to kind of think about the, the the relative pros and cons of different decisions and how they're going to impact our society. Plus, just like a relentless positive, positivity and optimism about the world and where we're going. I think makes him you know just an incredibly inspiring leader. And I think the Ethereum community is really lucky to kind of have him uh, as, as someone who's kind of helping shape where we're going. I think the broader crypto community is as well. And so, yeah, I think if I had to pick anyone, it'd be Vitalik and feel super grateful for all the work he does to make crypto what it is.
0: Absolutely. Pizza Mind, chalk another one up for Vitalik as the answer because I'm pretty sure he is the most influential guy in crypto and and we've probably gotten his name uh, along with Satoshi Nakamoto uh, as kind of the most often answered. But hey, those are two foundational characters in our space. Man, Jesse, we couldn't thank you enough for coming on and you said you were lucky to come on here. Shoot, man, we're lucky to have you. Uh, We hope to have you back at your leisure honestly i know you said 12 months maybe we could talk to to the pr folks and 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 shorten that (laughs) uh but with with with, you know truly from the bottom of our hearts we appreciate all the all the work that you do to make uh, coinbase an awesome platform and and for leading a, a big team so we're gonna let you go back to work uh and we will talk to you hopefully pretty soon awesome thanks bryce take care